This morning I want to talk about some practical issues, practical things concerning prosperity, success, wealth, riches, about living this kind of a life. Just want to talk about some practical things. Uh, you know, it's one thing to know kingdom truth. It's another thing to know how to apply it correctly in life. You can know the truth, but if you don't apply it correctly, you'll still get into trouble. So a lot of believers, they know the truth. They know what God's word says, but somehow there's a missing link between knowing it and applying it, get into trouble. Why? Because there's this practical guidelines have not been given. Wisdom is not there. And although they know the revel- have the revelation of the truth, they still struggle and still get into trouble. This is where the rubber meets the road, where you translate truth into experience. Last church camp, um, Manja George and uh, Mr. Sivram did a great job in talking about uh, some practical things about budgeting, uh, tax planning, and investing. And all of this is also available on our website. You can download it from there. Now, I'm not an expert in these things, far from it. So I'm not going to talk about those things. Amen. Uh, you can, you know, you meet a professional, get professional help if you need, you know, some real details on this. Or, um, uh, and that's, that's the best thing to do. But what I would want to do this morning is talk, just give you some practical wisdom, some stories and and uh, lessons learned on three areas on giving, living, and working. And just give you some practical wisdom here on, on things. So let me, let me begin by talking about giving. You know, my mother was a very, very generous lady. My dad worked hard, earned a lot, and my mother was very free to give it all away. And I saw my mother being so generous. Uh, poor people, she would give. Preachers come home, she'd give. Dad did all the hard work. But I learned generosity by watching my mother. And uh, then as a teenager, as, as, a, as a 13-year-old, as I began to read the Word of God, study the Word of God, I began to struggle with this whole issue of giving. Because, you know, the Bible talks about things like this. Jesus said in Luke 6.38, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will men give into your bosom. So encouragement to give, wonderful. And then he also said things like this in Luke chapter 6, 29, 30, 35. He said, you know, if someone strikes you one cheek, turn the other. And if somebody wants to take your cloak, give him your best coat. Just give it to him. He said, lend, hoping for nothing again. Now, these are tough scriptures. How do I live this out in life? Give freely. And through different experiences, I had to learn, you know, get some wisdom on this. And I can just recall the story of the poor and the papaya tree. And we were living at that time in uh, Sadashinagar Palace Orchards. And uh, there was some construction work going on not too far from my house. There was, and there were some people living in a little temporary shelter there. And it so happened that the, the people, they would send the kids over to our house. We had a papaya tree. And, uh, you know, they came first time. They said, you know, we want some papayas. Ah, oh, the Bible says give and it will be given to you. Oh, and especially the Bible says in, you know, Proverbs nineteen seventeen, you know, he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord. It's my chance to do that, you know. So, okay, mom said, just, you know, take the papayas and give it to them. They're just poor people, give it. So, gave it. But the problem is they came back the next day. And they kept coming back almost several times a week. And at some point, I started getting irritated. I mean, giving is one thing, but, you know, this is like, it's more than giving. It's like, man, I'm being forced to give. I have to give because, you know, Bible says, Proverbs 3, 27, 28, do not withhold good. From those to whom it is due. And it is in the power of your hand to do it. All I had to do is climb the papaya tree, pluck it and give it. It was very much in the power of my hands to do this. But it was getting very irritating. I began to struggle with this. What, what do I do? 
And that's when I learned that, you know, you need to understand the difference between giving freely out of the, the goodness of your heart and to the point where people are abusing your kindness. You need to understand the difference. Amen? So moral of the story is this. Don't let people abuse your kindness. Never. One hand, you're supposed to give, do good, let them take your cloak, lend hoping for nothing again, give to the poor because you're giving to God, but never let people take advantage of your kindness. During that same time, I had led uh, quite a few of my uh, Hindu friends, you know, we used to play cricket together and uh, I led some of them to the Lord. So now not only will we be playing cricket together, but they, we should come home, we should have Bible study, pray, got them, some of them praying in tongues, all of that's going on in our home. And I had this friend, his name is G. I won't give you his full name in case he shows up in church one day. But he became a believer, loved the Lord, discipling him. And uh, G came, you know, uh, and he said, Ashish, can you give me five rupees? And he lived not too far away and uh, I knew his family was not very well to do. So maybe he needs, he has an urgent need, so I gave him five rupees. The next week again, Ashish, can you give me five rupees? Maybe he's still in need, so I gave him five rupees. Uh, this might not have happened a few times, and then uh, one day, you know, we're walking next to New Shanti Sagar. It's been new for the last 20 years. <laughs> and, uh, what are you clapping for? <laughs> I mean, this was not a revelation, was it? Okay. Uh, this the New Shanti Sagar near Basham Circle. We're just walking by. There's a Panparag shop next there, next to it, and we're just walking with the G over there. And then uh, he said, came on the same request, and I was just going to give me five rupees. I was like, man, he's asked me so many times. He's asked me again, five rupees. I said, uh, what do you want it for? He said, then I want to buy some pan parak. That's when it hit me. The reason he was asking me for money is because his parents were not giving it to him for that. So he's taking money from me, going and buying this pan parak and feeding his own habits. And so at that moment, I had to make a decision. Do I still want to give? Jesus said, give and it shall be given to you. Don't withhold good when it's in the power of your hand to do it. Do I still want to give him because he's asking me or should I say no? And I learned at that moment, you know, you need to say no. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs 27, 5 and 6, it says, Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful the wounds of a friend. And I had to administer them graciously to him that day. Faithful wounds saying, look, you cannot do this. Only you need to stop asking me money. You need to get out of that habit. It's not right. Moral of the story is this, that say no when your giving does not serve the ultimate good of the individual. Amen? And don't feel guilty about saying no. You know, we come under so much pressure because we know the word, and yet we come under so much pressure, you know, because the Bible says give. Don't lend, uh, lend hoping for nothing again. If somebody asks you for a coat, give him your shirt as well. We come under so much pressure. We feel guilty to say no. It's true. But when you know that your giving is not for the ultimate good of the individual, you need to say no. You're doing him a favor, a blessing by saying no. Amen? You're not rejecting the individual. You're rejecting the idea or you're rejecting the behavior. You still love him as a person. You love him as a person. But no to that idea. No to that behavior. I will not give to feed in to something that's destructive. And this is the same thing when dealing with the poor in our streets. You know, you stop at traffic lights and your right, your right window, left window, everywhere up and down, people knocking. And as believers, we are so guilty. You know, should I give or should I not give? And if you don't give, you feel guilty. God, I'm sorry I didn't give. And if you give, then you're wondering, did I do the right thing? We all, we all struggle with that, right? But we all struggle with it. And here's what I do. 
You may agree with me on this. You may not agree with me. It's okay. But I say, look, if my giving will serve the ultimate good, then I'll do it. But if this is a person who can work, who can go get a job and be responsible in life, then they need to do that. And if I'm the only one who's going to send that message to them, I need to send that message. Amen? Several years ago, we were in Chicago, Amy and I and our kids. We just moved from a kid at that time. Joshua was there. and We moved from New Jersey to Chicago. And uh, we were looking for a church uh, to be a part of. And we visited a few churches. And then we went to a church. It was a little distance away. But it was really good. Very spirit-filled, wonderful. We visited a few times. And I think the fourth or fourth time that we visited that church, there was this preacher who was preaching, and it was very, very prophetic, very wonderful prophetic song, and I was very impressed. I was sitting in the congregation, the crowd, Amy was outside taking care of Josh at that particular time, and this, this guy was just spontaneous, songs coming out, music, everything also pro- prophetic, wonderful. I was so excited. Wow, this is really good. And then he started preaching the word, and I don't remember what he preached, but towards the end of his message, he began to do this, which really got my attention. He said, The Lord is saying there are five people who need to give $5,000 right now. Can you stand up? Red flag raised immediately. This is not right. Then he went on. You know, maybe two, three people stood up very reluctantly. And then he said, the Lord is saying there are 10 people who need to give. He lowered the amount this time. I don't know what it was. Like $4,000 something. And a handful of people stood up, not 10. And then he went on further. You know, the Lord is saying there are... So and so people, you need to give. He came down all the way to hundred dollars, and I refused. The moment he started doing this, I said, "You know what? If I'm the only person going to be sitting on my chair today, I'm going to sit on my chair. I'm not going to give one penny in this offering. Not." So he said, "The Lord is saying there is so many people that to give. You have to give hundred dollars. So many people standing. I'm the only one sitting right in front, you know." And finally, he came down to one dollar. Seriously, and he's looking at me. One dollar. I'm still sitting on my chair. I said, I refuse to give even one dollar in this offering. I mean, at some point I thought maybe I should just excuse myself, go out and help with Amy taking care of the kids. <laughs> but I said, no. If I'm the only person in this whole congregation who's going to send a message to this prophet saying, this is non-profit activity, I will do it. <laughs> and I sat in my chair. They went through the whole service and I did not give it in that offering. I refused. It's not the right thing to do. In uh, 2001, when we started our ministry here, we came back in 2000 and 2001 to 2003, the first three years, you know, we had a lot of good times and a lot of bad things. Good things, bad things, not so good things. We had a lot of good experiences those first early years. Uh, a lot of good ministries came in to help us, but part of this, and God just connected this up. Um, some of you might remember uh, Spirit Life Bible College, Pastor Sue and all her team. They were very much part of the church. They really lift, helped lift us up in new levels in worship and being strong in the spirit. They're very much part of us. Our whole Bible, our whole library was from Spirit Life Bible College. Some of us, people working with us, Atobo, Wicca, uh, Bijay, Anand and Bombay, all from Spirit Life Bible College, very much part of ministry. Uh, we had Stephen Becky. Some of you might remember them. They're also very much part of our, Stephen Bediot, yeah. They're very, also very much part of our ministry here, helped part of the worship team, etc. So we had some really good experiences, people coming, connecting with us, serving for a period of time, and then, you know, they had to move on. And uh, it was very wonderful, several people like that. But then we also had some not-so-good experiences. And part of it was because during those first three years, we were pretty naive. We just believed everyone who came in and said, I'm serving God. And we just, just believed everyone and lots of, you know, not so good experiences happened. I want to talk about a particular story of a man who came from God's own country. 
If you don't know where God's own country is, you will in due time receive the revelation. Just, just hang around here. But he just showed up. Usually I don't meet people like that nowadays. I have a good uh, office manager who just screens everybody out and only lets uh, Lata is the one who screens all the calls. Uh, but somehow the, he came through. He got to get my time. He was sitting in my, uh, in my cabin talking to me. And he had all these wonderful brochures of uh, his work in God's own country. He had these newspaper clippings, uh, articles written. Some of it I couldn't read. It was in heavenly language. <laughs> Sorry. I will repent. <laughs> so anyway, he had all these brochures. And, and it was a good work. He was working with children. He had set up the land. He had put buildings up, working with kids in that place. Very good work. And I was you know, very happy. And he shared all these things. And I said, okay, thank you very much. You've given me all this information. You can leave your brochure here, whatever materials you have. You can leave it here. Just give me some time to make a decision, you know. And uh, I really felt that, you know, it'll be a good thing to get involved with. And those days, we used to write checks for anything, you know. Just, uh, I just remember you know, just giving money out to help all kinds of needs. People would come with all kinds of photographs and this and that. We just used to give, give, give. Uh, but, you know, we were getting some discernment over time. Sometimes wisdom is gained through accidents, you know. So we were accidentally acquiring wisdom through all these experiences. And then, uh, so this time I said, you know, just give me some time. I'll come back. He said, no. Uh, he took out his voucher book, whatever it was. He said, uh, oh, how much do you want to give? You can give right now. I said, uh, no, just give me some time. You know, I'll come back. I mean, just give me a few days to think about it. I'll, I'll, I'll come back. I mean, really, you're doing a really good work. So, no, I want to do it now. Uh, whose name should I write? And this kept on going few, you know, back and forth a few times. Finally, I said this. I said, you know, because you're doing this, even if I wanted to help you, I will not help you. Please take all your stuff. I don't want your brochure. Take everything. You may leave. The moral of these two stories, which I'm just uh, sharing with you, is this. That the Bible tells us, you know, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Give it cheerfully, not grudgingly. So the moral of the story is this. Never give under compulsion. It doesn't matter who is saying what. The Lord says this. Lord says that. Excuse me. The Bible says, do not give grudgingly, not under compulsion. I need time to see what I'm free to do about this thing. Amen? So you need this wisdom when you're, when you're giving. Don't give under compulsion. It's like the sales calls people make, you know. They want to close the deal on the phone. And some of our Christian ministers are just like that. They want to close the deal now because they don't want to give you time to go and think and pray. Because what if God says, don't give, right? So they better close the deal now. But you need the time. You say, no, I will not give under compulsion. And I'm sad to say this, but, you know, we've also had people within the church over the last several years that we've seen um, people come into the church to take advantage of the church, of believers in the church. And uh, several stories, but one particular story was about a family who came to our South Church. And I didn't know this, but the man in the house was actually contacting other men in the church and using his daughter in college-going daughters, an excuse to collect money. And then they moved to Central Church. And at some point, the news came to me saying, you know, so-and-so's coming, but his daughter's working and studying, and what's happening? Why is this happening? It's sad to say that sometimes this happens, that people come into the church to abuse the church. And you need to be careful. Amen? Beware of church abusers. I remember on one occasion, I also had to, you know, publicly stand from the pulpit and warn people saying not to give. You know, if you want to lend money, it's at your own risk. Don't say that person was also an APC member. That's your decision to lend. 
Don't come to the pastor and say, please resolve this. I gave him 10,000 rupees. He hasn't paid it back, etc., etc. Well, you made the decision to lend. Amen. Now, someone might say, well, doesn't the Bible say in Colossians 6.10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let's do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's do good to everyone. Of course, you have to do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. But the Bible also says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6 to 8, it says, but we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord, that you withdraw from everyone who walks disorderly, not according to the tradition you received from us. What is disorderliness Paul is talking about? Verse 7. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge. But worked with labor and toil night and day. So the disorderliness he's talking about is about people who want to eat their brother's bread free of charge. And he says withdraw. Amen. Yes, on the one hand we have to do good and help those who are the household of faith. But on the other hand you need people to be responsible for their own lives. And not eat bread free of charge. God balance the two. Amen? Are you all happy or not happy? Okay. Let me just talk about living now. Some wisdom here for living. And, and I, I know we all want to be prosperous. We want to be successful in life. We want God to bless us. But here are some wisdom you need to keep in your heart. The first thing is this. is to avoid debt and credit card trap. Everybody say a big amen. amen. Avoid debt and the credit card trap. Now, you know, there's nothing wrong in using a credit card. It's a way of convenience of carrying 50,000 rupees in your pocket. You use a credit card. It helps you that way. And so there's nothing wrong. You're not going to go to hell if you carry MasterCard, Visa, Amex, whatever. Please, don't get me wrong. I have a credit card. I have two. I use one. Don't ask me for the other one. <laughs> so there's nothing wrong. It's not your, you know, you're sinning having a credit card. And I wouldn't say you're sinning if you take a loan. But the point is this, it has to be a manageable loan, something that you can pay off comfortably. But most of us believers, you know, we believe in prosperity, believe God will bless me, so swipe the card left and right, because I'm going to get a raise next month. Raise doesn't come and you wonder what happened, but the bill comes and you're in trouble. That's when you stand in line, prayer lines, give me a breakthrough. So let's cut your card first. You know, you need deliverance from the plastic. All kinds of things. And then, you know, you just got your job. You're hardly stable. You don't know if your boss is going to keep you. And you go sign for this big loan for your car. Another loan for your house. And unfortunately, a few months later, you lose your job. And now you don't know how to pay those loans. Why? Why do that? So be very careful about <clears throat> debt and credit card. I remember my experience. And you know, I was in college at this time doing my master's in the U.S. And... I got this American Express card. Wow. I'm a student. I'm just getting $800 a month for stipend. Just enough to take care of my own needs. And I have this American Express card. I'm going to use it for a good purpose. I'm going to go on a mission trip. So this was 1992. I decided to go on a mission trip. First missionary journey. I'm, only problem is I'm flying, not the ship. And so I booked my tickets, you know, from Ohio to... Albania. Albania is a country had just opened up at that time. For 50 years, it had been closed, totally closed, totally uh, disconnected from the rest of the world. 1992 was a year that the Emperor Hoja had been overthrown. The country had just opened up. It was a Kairos moment. I knew God wanted me there. You know, the apostle coming in with the gospel. You know, it's like, so I knew I had to go to Albania. So I booked my tickets. 
go to Albania. I'm going to spend Christmas, December 1992. I'm going to spend Christmas in Albania taking the gospel to these people who have never heard. They have no concept of God, whatever. And then I'm going to come to India, spend time here, do ministry here, go to Malaysia, minister in several churches, then go back to the U.S. And I had few friends, so I knew that God would bless me. In case God didn't bless me, MX was always there. So I had this letter written out to my friend saying, this is what the total cost for the trip would be. Uh, can you please support? I just believe that all the checks will come. Uh, I think it was about, uh, I don't remember the exact amount, maybe three to $4,000 total cost. Uh, some checks came in. But anyway, American Express was always there. So I got the tickets, moved, went on. We had a wonderful time of ministry in Albania. And I was so powerful out in those remote villages in Elbasan and uh, over there, just ministering to these people who had no concept of sin, no concept of God, totally wiped out for 50 years. Now, Mother Teresa came from Albania. Uh, so wonderful ministry, wonderful healings, miracles taking place, and a powerful time. Came to India, had a good time of ministry in India, went to Malaysia, had a good time of ministry in the churches there, flew back. I mean, you know, this wonderful, exhilarating experience of ministering in churches, crusades, etc., etc., and land back. And there's this big credit card bill waiting. I was ready to say two things. My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? I'd even go a step further and say into the hands. I commend my spirit. I was ready to do that. I said, God, I served you. What's happening? A bitter lesson to learn. Bitter lesson to learn. I had to spend, like you think, next three years. So I was a student to pay off that debt. But that lesson was enough. It was enough. What not to do with the credit card. You know, what's God's best? Deuteronomy 28 verse 12 says, The Lord will open to you as good treasure, the heavens to give rain to your land in its season. To bless all the work of your hand, you will lend to many nations and you will not borrow. That's God's best. Now this is under the old covenant. You and I are in a new covenant, which is a superior covenant with superior blessings. Therefore, we must expect more than what God told his people. That you can lend. You, I will bring you to a place where you'll be a lender, not a borrower. Amen. Now in our journey there, you may need to take a loan. There's no condemnation on it. As long as you can manage paying it comfortably. Nothing wrong with that. But desire to come to a place you will be a lender, not a borrower. Say, God, take me to that place. But I don't have to borrow people, borrow from people. I'll be a giver, a lend to many nations. The Bible does tell us in the book of Proverbs 22, verse 7, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. As long as you're in debt, there is that obligation you always have. So avoid debts as much as you can. Uh, if you have a debt, you know, a young man met me right after the service in the morning and he said, you know, I, I'm really being crushed on a debt. And for whatever reason, he's taken all these loans and he's in a terrible state. Uh, if you're in that state, you know, you need to change your life. If you're eating five days out, don't eat. Cook at home. Save that money. Pay your debt. Make it a priority to get out of it, especially if it's killing you. It's, you know, it's something beyond what you can manage with your uh, regular income. Life is so much fun when you live debt free. Amen. Second thing about living is this, live simple. Live simple. Simply means, you know, live, spend less than what you earn, which is a big revelation. And avoid materialism, which is defining your life by the things you have. Avoid it. Now, some of us, you know, because of our professional role, you need to dress a certain way. You know, there are some organizations you can go with a t-shirt and torn jeans and slippers, perfectly fine. 
know, PeopleSoft, when they began several years ago, the CEO would be in the office with T-shirt and shorts. This is like a multi-million dollar company. You know. That was their culture. I just says amen. You know. <laughs> that was their corporate culture. But there are other organizations where you are required to dress properly, wear good clothes, you know, have a certain standard. And that's fine. If that's, your, you know, that's what you have to do uh, as part of your professional role, there is nothing wrong. I mean, you know, whatever lifestyle you have to live for your professional role, do it. But do it modestly. You know, you're not going to make better decisions just because you're wearing an Armani suit. If you've got a dull head, it's going to be dull decisions. <laughs> the suit will not affect your thinking process in any way. Right? So uh, you, you may have to live a certain lifestyle because of your you know, professional role, whatever you have to do. But do it with modesty. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 25 verse 16, Have you found honey? Eat only as much as you need, lest you be filled with it and vomit. So what does honey have to do with this? Well, have you found something that you can enjoy? You enjoy your job. You enjoy buying good clothes. You enjoy driving a nice car, whatever. Have you found some things you enjoy? Eat only what you need. Amen? Just what you need. Anything beyond that is not going to help you. In fact, it can become harmful to you. Enjoy life. There's nothing wrong with enjoying life. But eat only what you need. Take in what, just what you need. One last thing about living is grow gradually. You know, as young people, especially young professionals, you know, you take your first job. And the, the next thing you want to do is, you know, buy a big car, big house, get all the clothes. And, and boy, you just, just want to, you want to overnight to become Bill Gates, whatever. Overnight, especially in our, in our culture here in the city, the urban culture, it's like quick things. I want to become a success overnight. I want to have big things overnight. And we don't value gradual growth. We don't value diligence. We don't value, you know, growing in a steady manner. We think that's old-fashioned. But listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs 21 verse 5. The plans of the diligent, diligent lead to plenty. But everyone who is hasty goes to poverty. And again in Proverbs 28, 20 and 22, it says, A faithful man abounds with blessings, but he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. 22, A man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. So grow gradually. Work hard. Be diligent. Be patient. Let God take you step by step. Don't come under pressure by your friends. You know, they got their first job and they already have a car. They already have all these fancy clothes. They already have their a house and you're still on your two-wheeler. You get drenched every now and then. And you feel bad. It's okay. It's okay. Grow gradual. You're growing strong. Because he who becomes hasty after riches, one day they'll just fly away. At least you have a two-wheeler. When you go home, you can sleep in peace. He's got a car. He's got a big house. You don't know what's happening in the bed. He's tossing and turning. He's not sure if he loses his job tomorrow. What will happen to his car? What will happen to his house? And the credit card bills with which he bought all those nice clothes. At least you sleep in peace. Because you're willing to grow gradually. I remember, you know, the first car I had was a really ancient car. I had to go pick up Amy from John F. Kennedy Airport. and I was living in New Jersey. to go to pick her up. And I was like, God, I hope the wheels don't fall off, you know. Literally, to go down the highway, you know, it's like, there's a really old car and I got to pick up my, you know, my wife. And, uh, but we lived with that. And then we were able to buy a better car. 
and then a better car. But we grew gradually. We lived in a very small apartment. and We began to move to a better place. Gradual. No hurry. Amen. He, through diligence, will lead to plenty. Let me just, you know, it takes a little longer time to build a Rolls Royce than to build a bicycle. Let me repeat it. It takes a little longer to build a Rolls Royce than to build a cycle. May all those who received understanding on that say amen. <laughs> you need maturity to handle prosperity. Let me just start, give you share some, share some wisdom here on working and then I'll close. Excel at your job. You know, sometimes we believers are very, very um, casual about our job. Because we say, you know, God will bless me. He blesses all the work of my hands. So I'll just give him, you know, whatever, something. Just do something. God will bless it. Yes, God will bless all the work of your hands. But you need to know that God has told you how to work. Proverbs 18 verse 9 says, if you're slothful in your work, you're a liability. You're a great destroyer. You're not an asset, but a liability to your organization. And, you know, we kind of do half-hearted pieces of work and then we expect promotion. But the Word of God says in Proverbs 22, 29, He says, do you see a man who excels in his work? He's going to stand before the boss. He's going to be called in before the boss. He's not going to stand before ordinary man. But what's the criteria? He excels in his work. You want promotion? Excel in your work. No shortcuts. Amen? So, maintain that. Yes, I know we want to prosper. We want to be successful people. But there's an important requirement. You need to excel in your work. Let me just make some comments here about a career change. You know, some of us are in situations in life where when I talk to people and, you know, they are doing certain things and they're doing it for many years and it's not working out. It's, it's worse than zero. It's, it's negative. And if you're in that situation, whatever it is, whether it's ministry, business, whatever, professional life, you know, you really need to think seriously. One of two things is wrong. You're either in the wrong place or maybe you're in the right place, but you're not doing, putting in the right efforts. One or two things are wrong. But the problem with us believers is this. We say, you know, I fasted 40 days to get this job. How can I be in the wrong place? Yeah, you fasted 40 days, you got the job, wonderful. But that was step one. Maybe God wants you to take step two, which is not in the same line, but out of it. That was a season, a period that served its purpose in your life. But we refuse to take step two out of it because you fasted 40 days to get into it. That's a problem with believers. I want to encourage you. If things are not working out, it has a reason. Either you're in the wrong place or you're not putting in the right effort. If you're putting in the right effort and it's still not working out, perhaps it's time for a change. Amen? So, but I can't change. I fasted and prayed to get in. Yeah, fast and prayed to get out. Trust the Lord. That the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And if you need to take a step out, take it. Trust that God will guide you in it. I remember when I was in, 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 in the U.S. just finishing my studies. I got my master's, working on a Ph.D., got married. Um, wanted to, uh, how to get a job. I was, I was, I was so focused. I was, did my master's in biomedical engineering. So I was so focused in engineering and healthcare. I was, just, I was so focused on I wanted to get that. Wanted to get that kind of a job uh, uh, to work. Leave the university, move into the, uh, the workplace. So focused on it. And I was trying to get jobs in, in health, uh, engineering and healthcare and the biomedical fields. But nothing was happening. Months were going by, not getting it. And uh, 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 my roommate, he was not a f- believer. He suggested, he said, why don't you just go for the pure software job? Just pure software. I said, 
it's not hard for me. Like, you know, I've been doing it all the while. I can just make, do that. I can try it out. And uh, in a matter of two months, got a job. And it's been such a blessing in making this shift. From what I thought I wanted to do to what I believe God, where God wanted me to be. It was a change in my uh, perception of what my future would be. But it has made a big difference. Today I have a company. Lives have been blessed through the software company. Lots of people have come and gone and they're doing well. But that change happened through a counsel that came from an unbelieving friend, from an unbeliever. God used that. God can use anyone. Amen. So he used that friend. Just, just change. Just make a change. It made all the difference. So some of us, maybe you just need to think seriously, you know, I need to make a change. And do it without any sense of guilt or condemnation. There's, there's no need to feel bad about it. You have done something in a certain place, certain time. It served its purpose. If it's not working anymore, make the change. Don't feel guilty about it. Amen? Last two things are close. And that's a little longer than usual. I want to talk about the higher cause. You know, there's more to life than your job. We're talking about being successful. We're talking about doing well in the, in the work life, etc. Seeing God's blessing of prosperity there. But there's more to your life than your job. You're living for a higher cause as a believer. You're living for a higher purpose. Plan your life that way. Live that way. So that when God speaks, you're ready to move. Last is this. I want to talk about ministry and business. There was a man. His name is uh, Jim Nagel. Uh, we got to know him very well in Chicago. Very close friend of us. He handles uh, our ministry uh, finances in the U.S. still today. At that time, he was 73. Now he's in his 80s. But I really liked him. He was a good friend because uh, Mr. Jim Nagel would tell me stories. He and his wife, Lorraine, had spent about 18 years working for one of the very large ministry in the U.S., and they'd seen all that happened, the good and the bad. They'd seen all of that. They'd seen things happen in the ministry. And, uh, and I would like to listen to his stories. They so much wisdom, so much good things. And once towards the end of our time there, he asked me, he said, Ash, what are you going to do when you go back to India? And I said, you know, I'm going to work and I'm going to do ministry. And he said, I just remember one thing. Never mix ministry and business. Never mix ministry and business. Let me explain. You know, on the one hand, we encourage people to mix. That means you are a minister in your workplace. You are there to be salt and light. You're there to impact and influence people. So yes, by all means, carry the word of God, carry the anointing into your workplace. Yes. But on the other hand, where do you apply this? First, do not abuse ministry relationships for business purposes. Do not abuse ministry relationships for business purposes. So I'm your pastor and uh, I can just come to any of you and say, you know, do this for me, do this for me. Most likely you'll do it because, you know, we have a relationship in the church. But I could take advantage of that for business purpose. And that's wrong. It'll get you in a lot of trouble. And he began to share with me stories of what he had seen in these big ministries where they began to mix the two and they would take things from the ministry, use it for business and, oh, it's chaos. So he said, I just never mix ministry and business. One application is... Do not use ministry relationships, abuse ministry relationships for business purpose. Now, if you're able to manage it, do it and be very careful. Never abuse the relationship you have within the house of God. Now, amongst yourselves, you know, you may be good friends in the church, worship together. But when you get out there and you want to do business together, that's a business relationship. You cannot 
just say, you know, I'm your brother, I'm your sister, do this, do that for me. You cannot do that. A ministry, a church relationship is a church relationship. A business relationship is a business relationship. You have to treat them separate. Amen. And secondly is this. He said, keep the account separate. Never mix the money. And we've done that ever since we started. Ministry money is ministry money. Business money is business money. That's it. They're separate. The business helps the ministry. That's one way. Not the other way. Keep the accounts separate. Because he had seen ministries taking money from the ministry, using it for some sort of a business uh, venture, and things getting into a lot of trouble. So don't ever do that. Never mix the two accounts. Separate. Keep it separate. It's common sense, but still people uh, violate that and get into a lot of trouble. So don't mix ministry and business. Keep them separate in these contexts. I really want to encourage you as believers, you know, you may find a good person to work with in, the, in business, but when it comes to business, you treat it as a pure business relationship. When it comes to church, you can hold hands, pray for each other, cast out devils, whatever. But hey, when an invoice is sent to you, pay it on time. When you promise something to deliver something, deliver it. Whatever the transaction is, it's a business transaction. Don't say mercy and grace. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.